Good morning. How's everyone? Good to see you guys. I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, I just got to say, my wife is a legend. She, she didn't sleep a wink last night. Uh, seriously, like our two-year-old's teething and crying, and um, she wasn't feeling good all night. So last night was rough, and Joe's up here ripping it this morning. So let's give. She's, she's got the energy. So yeah, we're glad to be here. Um, uh, we have a message today, and I hope that it it just kind of gives you. Um, not a new way, but just, just, I think, a really significant way to think about the Christmas story. This is the last Sunday before Christmas, and next Sunday, we're not meeting in here, so I can't do today's service without talking about some Christmas, but it's not just about Christmas, and it applies to a lot of things, and, um, and yeah, I was talking with Gordy, too, and we've just been wrestling it out with these uh, truths because sometimes spiritual uh, wisdom has a way of breaking your categories, and it's uncomfortable because you can't wrap your head around it and understand it. Um, Sometimes you just have to hold some mystery, you know, and I think one of the one of the spiritual practices that grows you as a person, um, it can fill you with more compassion, it can fill you with peace, is the ability to sit in the mystery without having an answer and trusting and learning how to, to rest in that. Um, one of Paul's most used words about the gospel is uh, mustadion. We've talked about but the mystery. So it's one of my favorite things um, that I like to just kind of keep in the back of my mind. So I was sitting down studying this week and wrestling it out, and River, my two-year-old daughter, runs up to me, and she puts her hand on my leg, and it's so cute because she's just learning to really talk and express herself, and this is the first time she ever said this to me. She puts her hand on my leg, she looks up to me, and she just goes, Daddy, play with me. And I was like, oh, what? And she's, that was literally the first. So I'm like, all right, dive into this. And I was like, shut the computer, let's play. So I'm like, all right. So we go over, and she, she wanted to read some books. So she like runs over to her little book corner. She has all these books. And she pulls one out, runs over to me, and I'm like, nice, we're going to read some books. And as soon as I open the first page, and I'm reading the first line, She just grabs the book, slams it shut, and puts it away. And I was like, what? Don't you want to read? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, you want want some tickles. So I start tickling her, and she's like, no, no, no. And I was like, what? I thought you wanted to play. And I was like so confused. And um, I was like, I guess she wants me to leave. So I stood up and start walking away, and she just started crying, no, no. And I was like, what the? She doesn't want to read. She doesn't want to tickle. She doesn't want me to leave. I was like, what, is, what does she want from me? And I was kind of just sitting there, like, you know, feeling a little stressed. Like, I need to get back to studying and whatever. I'm sitting there, and she, she's, like, sit, she's like kind of crying, and she just, like, peeks over just to see if I'm looking at her. And once she saw that I was looking at her, she like lights up with a smile. And I was like, what the? So I just keep looking at her. And then she goes over, grabs a book, starts stacking, peeks over at me again. And once she realized that I was looking at her, she lights up again and just smiles and there's this joy. And I started to realize, I was like, whoa. I was like, she, didn't, she doesn't want me to like read her a book. She doesn't want me to teach her anything. She doesn't want me to even do anything. She, all she wants is for me to just be with her. That's all she wanted. Um, she just wanted my presence. And, uh, you know, it didn't really make sense in, until it, it started to sink in. Like, um, she just wants closeness. She just wants presence. And that's enough. And this, um, 
stuck with me. And as I went in to keep studying, this is what I felt the Spirit was speaking to me. So the title this morning, where we're going, is The Proximity of Presence. So I'm not a scientist, um, but we're going to dive into a little bit of physics <laughs> this morning. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. So if you guys have your, your Bibles or phones, you can open to John chapter 14. And we're just going to read a, a chunk of scripture. And just try to pay attention to, as I'm reading, something might jump out to you. You know, if you feel a spark of light in your heart, even with a one sentence, write it down. Think about it. Um, I love how sometimes God will speak to you just as you're reading the text, and it might not have anything to do with my message, but I just want to read a chunk of text and give that space for, for the Spirit to speak to us right where we're at. So here we go, John 14, verse 1, and I'll just brief context is that this is Jesus' last time hanging out, teaching, being with his disciples before he goes off to his death. So his, his disciples um, are feeling this strange, um, I guess, fear. They're anticipating separation. They're anticipating loneliness. And so Jesus is going to speak to it. And now is the time for him to bring them further in their spiritual journey. So he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there. Wait, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So he's, he's assuring them, you know, about this um, separation, this loneliness they're about to face. And he's saying, you're going to feel it, but don't worry, you know, there's a place for you coming, and I'm coming back. And then the funny response Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And uh, he's just kind of pointing out the, the very literal, obvious thing is they don't know where he's going. Um, yet Jesus is so confident that they do. Keep going. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Just the Father will be good. That will be enough. And Jesus answered. Very strange answer. This is when things start going from talking about literal story, literal events, to now Jesus is talking about spiritual realities. And we have to remember, we brought this up a couple weeks ago, that when Jesus teaches, he always used a metaphor. He always used an analogy, a parable. So we have to, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deeper place to live from. I don't know how else to say this, but he's about, he wants to take us there. So don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. There's a way to live where you are in relationship with the source of life. There is a way, and there's power in it. There, you know, and I think 
you know, our times need, need people full of the power of God more than ever, you know? Now's the time. And um, it's, a, it's a real thing. You can live separate from this power and on your own strength and feel empty. Or you can live plugged in to an infinite source of joy, of healing, of peace, of wisdom. You just have to learn how to do it. So, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. You're going to experience this. Um, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going away to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And this, this, that's loaded language. Commands is a trigger word for a lot of uh, religious circles, I think, and it's really misunderstood. But it's a whole sermon in itself. But all Jesus is saying is if you ask in his name, means that um, you begin to move in the same type of love and way as Christ. And some, there's going to be a power, okay? And things will, things will come alongside you and move with you that you can't explain. We'll keep going. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Remember, he's comforting his disciples. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you, and here's that language again, and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But at the same time that I'm gone, I'm here. You'll see me. Because I live, you will live. <laughs> He's speaking seems paradoxical. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so what Jesus is saying is that beneath everything going on that feels so separate, there is actually a, con a connectedness um, within all of us. It is, uh, we're going we're gonna to be, I think, peeling back this a little bit. Me and Gordy are talking about it. It has to do with um, the nature of God, who God is, the, the Trinity, the Trinitarian relationship of God, where um, there is relationship accessible to you all the time. And how many of you guys know that you can be in a room full of people and feel very alone. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the introverts in the room. <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. How many of you guys know that you can be alone in the wilderness and not feel alone at all? Dude. Yeah. It is, it is not about who's around you, whether you feel presence, whether you feel relationship. It's about, I don't know. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> Hopefully you guys could help me answer that. <laughs> um, they seem to be contradictions. Jesus is like, I'm leaving, but I'm here. I'll be gone, but I'm not. You know, you're going to go through these times, but you're good. And it's these contradictions, and what they do is whenever we're wrestling with things that don't make sense, sit with it and allow it to squeeze you and transform you and open up a new place in you, okay? In Western culture, we love to, to pick sides. This side's right, this side's wrong. Where actually, the presence of God is on both sides, and he's trying to grow us. So the, the wrestling point is um, to be able to sit with the uncomfort 
of the paradox. This is the beginning of spiritual life. And I don't think you'll get very far without embracing this. So, and you'll see it too, because you guys know people who just have to have an answer or be black or, black or white about an answer. And let me ask you a question. Um, what, what, is, what kind of fruit does that produce in a person? It, is there an arrogance when someone is living like that? Or if someone is, is seeking, learning, wrestling, it produces that compassion, that humility, you know? Um, the fruit of the Spirit comes very naturally as we sit in paradox. <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's easy to be, it's easy to be a compassionate person when you embrace paradox. It just happens. So here we go. Um, I want to just look up that very first sentence in the scripture we read in John 14, verse 1. Uh, verse 2, actually. So, do not let your hearts be troubled. So, this is kind of a, a funny part, but he says, My father's house has many rooms. The King James Version says, My father's house has many mansions. How many of you guys have heard that? It's super poetic. It's pretty, it's a... It's iconic. It's, a, it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. And so I, I wanted to dig into, like, what is he talking about? My father's house has many, like, mansions, many rooms. And the irony about it that just hit me was that, you know, I think throughout the last 500 years or so, seeing paintings, thinking about heaven, thinking about God, um, it's easy to picture heaven with immaculate mansions. And one of them's for me, Right? I got my mansion up there. I'm good forever, you know? And there's this pic, you see it in paintings throughout the 1500s um, where the, the pictures of heaven is streets of gold, mansions. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's the big and the nice and the, the wealthy and there's, that's kind of the image. But the irony of it that I was just thinking about is that to picture God's dwelling place because the literal word for my father's house is God's dwelling, has many mansions. The actual word for mansions is, um, it's monet, which kind of sounds like money. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, there's the association. Someone's like, monet, money, mansions. Yeah, that feels good. That feels like heaven. So that's what they did. So they chose the word mansions. But actually, it just means... Um, uh, it means a staying, abiding, a dwelling, um, literally just kind of like a place for us to rest. That's all it means. So we took a word that means a place for us to rest and abide with God, and we, we made it be mansions. And I, I just think it's funny because the story of Christmas is, is kind of is the opposite. Like, I was like, okay, where was Jesus dwelling? Where was Jesus living? Right, right away, God could have been born anywhere God chose. That's God. There's no mansions in that Christmas story, right? What we see is actually, dude, Jesus didn't even have a hotel room. Like, Jesus isn't even dwelling in a tiny house. It's like worse than a tiny house. He didn't even have a house. He was living in a place where humans don't even live. That was the dwelling place of the birth of the Son of God, where that was intentional. One of the great stories of Christmas is how God dwells in the ordinary things and the small things. And I'm, I'm not saying he's not, you know, he's, we, live, we live in an amazing place in an amazing country you know, my home is like a mansion, you know, compared to um, other places I've experienced. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's powerful to remember that the story of Christmas is like the humility of God. And if, if we're talking about where God is located, the pro Christmas is really about presence. How do we draw near to God? The story of Christmas is really about, you know, 
who, who got to draw near to God? The people who were willing to go into the most unexpected, stinky farm, barn, place where kings are not born. Those are the ones who drew close. So there's this paradox as well. is like, yes, God's in big things, but Bethlehem was a tiny little village. Nazareth was a place known for nothing of significance. And God dwells there. And God's born there. And we see the character of God. So, you know, I think it's just, it's a funny interpretive move to want to paint the dwelling place of God as the elite. And I think it, it's easy to do that when we're in a culture that strives for that and thinks that that's where joy and peace and, you know, the attributes that we're actually seeking for in God, we've associated that to mansions. So I just kind of wanted to squash that a little bit and kind of go the other direction. And so in saying that God is in the small things, I mean really small, like the really, really, really small things. We're going to go to the very, very small things in the world of subatomic things, the subatomic particles of things, okay? And follow me a little bit. I'm going to need your guys' help, but it's, it's really amazing, you guys, with the tools and technology that we have today, what science is discovering is what ancient wisdom and ancient spiritual traditions has been saying all along. We just couldn't prove it. And the majority of the way the world has seen and understood reality for the last 500 years has been one way. And guess what, you guys? In the last decade, it's breaking down. We live in a far stranger world than you probably are thinking about. Because <laughs> we got answers for everything, right? Gravity, the universe, you know, we know what the, you know, our solar system looks like. We know this. We have answers. We have answers. This year, 2022, the Nobel Prize winners in physics, they proved that the way we're thinking about everything is wrong. <laughs> so you guys can look it up. Just when you go home later, don't do it right now. Google the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics. And there's three guys, and normally the Nobel Prize helps us make more sense of the world. This is the opposite. <laughs> this is making more questions, and it's actually showing, this, and it's a little controversial, that um, you know one of Einstein's main theories, it looks like it could be wrong. Okay, and I'm going to explain this a little bit in my simple way, <laughs> but I'll do my best, okay? But this is going somewhere. So just for example, we're talking about the really, really tiny, tiny, small things, right? Okay, just, just, a, just a fun little example. What is this? What is this right here? There's a stool. It's pretty hard, right? It's a hard stool. It's solid. We got some nice... I like the look, you know, it's got some wood, it's got some steel, got some bolts, some varnish, you know, it's solid. I can jump on this and I can sit on this. This is a solid substance, right? Right? Okay. However, if you zoom in on this thing with a microscope and zoom in again and zoom in again, zoom in again, all the way to the particles of it. What you're going to find is something very strange, that this is actually, the majority of this is empty space, okay? So <laughs> just put it, this is made up of atoms, okay? We're talking about the, the, the atom level, the particle of an atom. So in an atom, just, just to put it in perspective, if an atom were the size of a football stadium, the nucleus would be the size of a grain of rice in the middle of a football stadium, okay? That's how much space 
is required in an atom. Because if you took away that space, if you took away that separation in the atom, guess what? Sugar cube like that. A sugar cube. All this, all this stuff, you're laughing because you guys are, you guys are hip with it. You guys are scientists. <laughs> George, he's making fun of me right now, trying to wrap my head around this stuff. Serious, you guys. So if we took away all the empty space in an atom because we're like, oh, that's just empty space. That's useless. We don't need that empty space. We would lose everything. And so what actually is happening right here is that this isn't a solid substance at all. Actually, it is a billion swirling balls of energy bouncing off each other, colliding, swirling, leaving, coming back, connecting, separating, happening so fast that it becomes something, becomes something new, becomes something solid we can use. So just, just looking at like, I don't want to bring it, bring it around here yet. I'm going to tell you one more thing, okay? This is kind of the last mind bender that this will all make sense. So let's go to the Nobel Prize. This is what they uh, got it for. It was three guys, Alan Aspect, John Clauser, Anton Zeilinger. Do you know those names, George? They're probably your colleagues back in <laughs> USC. I actually think John Clauser lives around USC, so. You know that guy? He's your buddy? Just kidding. Okay, and this is what they got the Nobel Prize for. For experiments with entangled photons, establishing the violation of Bell inequalities in pioneering quantum information science. Wow, so meaningful. Who understands that? So <laughs> the violation of Bell inequalities, just to translate that real quick, is pretty much saying this, this uh, scientist, Bell, and Einstein, goes back to Einstein, what he thought was true about the universe isn't, and because of what they discovered. And what they discovered is quantum entanglement. Just follow with me just a little bit more, guys. We are in science class. This is where I'd fall asleep back in the day. Quantum entanglement is what they discovered, okay? And here it is. The best way I can describe it. It's, it's amazing. And this is where the line between science and spirituality starts to get a little fuzzy. Because we've, we've tend to thought about there's a difference between the physical world and the spiritual world. But what we're finding with quantum science is that there's actually not a clear line at all. And it's actually looking like the spiritual way of seeing the world is actually the most scientific way to see the world. And I love this because there's been kind of a battle between science and faith, you know, through the last few decades. We don't got to be afraid of anything, of any truths, you guys. Because truth is from God. And God is truth. So if truth is going to cause us to rethink a few things, we can have the humility and the trust to let it happen. To be moldable, to allow God to grow us. So quantum entanglement Two separate particles can be connected in such a way, okay, that one, just imagine this, just pretend we're here on earth, okay, and we got a light switch right here, okay, we're going to flip this light switch, and imagine that the light bulb is in a universe, in a galaxy far, far away, okay, far, like how far, how far, George, how far should we go? Billions, huh? Thousand light years. That's so far, I don't even know what that means. But just imagine, okay, this is what we're discovering about the makeup of the universe in reality, is that particles aren't separate. Even though physically there's distance between them, there's particles that as soon as you interact with, measure, 
witness, poke one particle here. At the exact same time that there's a particle in a galaxy far, far away with the exact response, just like this, okay? You can Google this, I don't know how it works. Just imagine two quarters spinning. So we spin two quarters and it's spinning. This is called superposition. It hasn't taken tails, it hasn't taken heads, okay? And one is spinning here on Earth and one is spinning out in a galaxy far, far away. And in these quarters, just say, if this quarter lands on heads, that quarter has to land on tails in this analogy, okay? So if I stop it and this is heads, science has proven that immediately there's a, that, that particle that has quantum entanglement is in communication and connection with this thing, and immediately it falls the opposite side. So quantum entanglement, okay? And what it's showing us is that there is such thing, you guys, as communication that is faster than the speed of light. And George knows, or someone knows in here, there's, science has told us there's nothing faster than the speed of light. Nothing exists faster than the speed of light. And this just proved that whatever form of communication these particles have with each other, it's, it can't be a light wave. It can't be, you know, you know, we have to use some kind of wave or tool, you know, a signal of some kind that travels to communicate. But actually the universe appearing as separate is all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. And this, this is weird, you guys, because this is what Christ said thousands of years ago to everyone. And the, the language he says you think me and God are separate. And the language he uses is, he's in me, I'm in him. And he even brings it further. And he says, you are in me, and I am in you. That's closer than instant communication. You know what that means, you guys? And this is, this is how some people have said it. Everything in the universe, it's not, it's not true that there is empty space between us, but actually we are enmeshed in a substance that if I poke, you're affected, even if I'm not around you. The human, the human experience is all connected. And this is the craziest part, too. Some, some of those... Particles that are spinning in superposition, they take form once a human looks at it. It's true. You guys can check this out. When you look at something, it changes it. When you give presence to something or someone, it changes it. Something filled my daughter when I just was with her, when I witnessed, to, when I put my awareness and conscious intention. And here's the thing, it can't be multitasked. This connection isn't something that you can do. Like if I'm on the phone, it's weird. My daughter gets, she'll, she'll get uncomfortable. But as soon as I just put it down and I'm with her, she's good. It's crazy, it's, it's intuitive to her. When we're in a room together, if we're not, I'm not saying we gotta be talking all the time, but if we don't know how to just give each other presence, we're, we're not connecting. And if you're going to see the world like Christ, love, joy, peace, the fullness comes as we connect. You know, in, as Jesus prays for all of humanity in John 17, um, let me pull this up right now. Do you have that, Johnson? Yeah. So he has this term for it, glory, and I, this is kind of changing the way I'm seeing it, but I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In a very real 
scientific, spiritual, Jesus philosophical way, you are not alone. And your very existence has impact. None of us are just taking up space. What you look at, what you give your attention to, is changing the universe. Literally. Happens with people, happens with things. We just don't realize it yet. The illusion is separateness. That's the illusion. It's not true. Nothing is separate. I would think about this. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool in a couple, you know, 10 years or so. What if we changed the name for space? Because it's not space. It's actually connecting us. <laughs> it's actually, it's not separateness. So why would we call it space? It's not space. We are enmeshed in a substance, okay? You guys ready to trip? Let's trip right here. It's going to get good. Put up Acts uh, chapter, what is that one? Acts close. Acts 17, I hope. Okay, this is when Paul, after Jesus died, Paul is proclaiming spiritual truths that he received from Christ himself intuitively. And Paul is proclaiming this to the people in, in Greece. And he says, From one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him. So there's a, there is a separation, but the separation is critical because it creates an opportunity for us to perhaps reach out for him and find him. And here's the paradox. Though he is separate, though he is not far away from any one of us, this is the verse. For in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You guys, the revelation in the Bible from the Apostle Paul, from Jesus, is not that heaven is a mansion with a dude sitting in it that we're going to go hang out with. God, we're swimming in God. This, isn't, this is hard to say because it is, it is going further, but it is the text. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can go with culture. We can go with easier thoughts. God is, is, a, is love. God is real. God is... Pull up a Colossians 1.15. I got to just say this in connection with it. 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. We just got to slow down for a second. For in him, we are all in God. Everything we see isn't outside of God. We are in God. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Next verse. He is before all things, and right here, in him, all things hold together. All of us are being held, you guys. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. It does. It changes experience. I'm not, I don't want to say it like that because it's true. Marriage is amazing. I know what it feels like to be lonely. <laughs> and marriage is amazing. And I'm feeling the blessings of having someone now. I was alone for a long time. However, I had peace and fulfillment that I found before my wife. And since I found it, I could include it with my wife. All things are held by God who is all around us all the time. We are never alone. It's a lie. It's a lie. 
I'm not saying your feelings weren't real. Yeah, you felt alone. You felt alone. But we weren't seeing correctly. We're in a God-bathed world. Saturated with God. All things. And you guys, this is... It's not like we have our little church in here and then the world out there is bad. The picture in the Bible of God is everywhere is God's. <laughs> it doesn't need to be converted or unconverted. The pure experience of life is beautiful. Yeah. We don't need to be afraid. Healing is, all, is within our reach. Peace is always within your reach. It's not in a mansion. You can have peace there too, but that's not the criteria, is having a big bank. That's awesome too. You can do awesome things with that. But there's not peace tied to that. So some of us have been brought into a season of lack, of not having money. That's awesome, because you're going to learn. When peace touches you there, you're going to be free. And then when you do have something, it's not going to own you anymore. You can steward, you know. We're all going through different seasons, but we're all being held in God, by God. So a few weeks ago, I asked the question, what's the shape of God? What does God look like? Some of us are looking around, listening, looking. Where are you, God? You're not there. You're not there. Can I suggest to you that what you're looking for is in a, isn't God, <laughs> even though you're calling it that. Because what we're seeing is all the universe is, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's the Trinity, man. And what, a tr what the Trinity is, is three beings in relationship of energy. And that's what the universe is is particles in relationship moving around in energy, interacting with each other, being held. And I think that's why Jesus Christ, he could live with a peace so powerful. <clears throat> he would just stand in front of a tormented soul and his peace would spread because he knew. He lived it. He was in connection with it. What would happen if a little community in here lived in connection with God? Dude. It's profound and it's hard to even wrap our minds around, but all this I want to say is back to Christmas, sum it up right here. How did God respond to the suffering of humanity? Sent Emmanuel. Okay? What does Emmanuel mean? You guys know. God with us. It was an announcement. Christmas is an announcement of presence. The presence is with you. I just want to say, somebody in here thinks they're far from God. You're not. Not. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are, you're not. You couldn't breathe if God wasn't very close to you. <laughs> you are very close with God. We aren't separate. Not true. That's the lie. God responded to the suffering of humanity not by coming and giving answers, not by coming and giving you know, solving the problem and eliminating hurt and pain. Didn't do that. You know what the solution is that God did? Presence. Presence. That is what, where the power is. Not in giving advice. Advice is fine if it can be received. <laughs> Sitting with someone. Joe did the coolest thing. A few weeks ago, she went to this workshop where it was just a group of people getting together a group of people would sit here in front. One person would sit here and ask a question or say something they were working on or 
a problem they're having. And as that one person would share to the group, it wasn't about getting an answer. Do you know what the group did? Held space. <laughs> Whatever that means, but held substance, held connection. Holding space, sitting with someone, giving them your attention is healing. Abby talked about it last week with, with the, the concept of still point. When you can find, when you can just hold something. My mom knows this with massage. That's what Abby was talking about. How does my mom tap into healing for people's bodies? She holds it. Ask her. She appears to be a wizard, like, like healing, magic powers. Ask her how she does it. She just holds it and is present. What if, what if the answers that your kid needs is already inside of them? Because God is in them. And if you would just hold them, God could be released. But if we're blasting them with judgment, condemnation, it enforces them in that. It's profound. Can you sit with someone when they're telling you some stupid ideas and just be present? Just let it go. Like in my head, I'll be like, wow. That is weird. And it's crazy how many times if I just, I don't address it, I just let it go, keep listening, it naturally, the person will just be like, yeah, that was a weird idea. And I'm like, wow, you let it go way easier than if we were just debating. It's weird. Just learning how to give each other presence. Learning how to drink from the presence of God. To receive from the presence of God. Humanity hasn't gotten there as a collective yet, obviously. We're stuck on these sides. And I just feel so strongly in my heart. This is what I believe, this is what I want to give myself to, is I want to learn how to live in this presence and offer this presence. And I believe that if a community learns how to do this, well, there's going to be an amazing healing, and what Jesus talks about, how the, how the kingdom will fill the earth like a loaf of bread, that'll happen, naturally. So, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of committing myself to this practice, and, um, you know, it's just amazing that Jesus had such confidence in his guys, even though they were so great, like the disciples didn't know all the answers. But Jesus just was confident and said, you know the way, you know, you know. And I'll just say, some of you guys are feeling really confused about life. You don't know where to go, don't know what the answer is. How am I going to help this person? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? You know, you know, it's not in here. But as we learn how to just be, peace is going to fill this earth. Children of God will shine. And um, I'm just going to close with that. And um, Joe's going to sing a song. She didn't put the lyrics up. I'm like, oh, the lyrics are so good. So just, just let's just be with it. Let's just listen. You can come up. You can sing this song. And um, yeah, I hope this sparks conversation you know I didn't I didn't cover the topic at all I hope I just scratched it a little bit but the separation you're feeling um, actually I'll just say it this way the announcement I have for you guys is that God is with you it's Christmas God is with you no matter where you're at, you're not alone. Emmanuel, God is with you. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Silhouettes of mountain ranges match the curves of DNA 
And the planets in the galaxy mimic atoms in the space between. Tidal waves crash in the ocean like we experience emotions. Feel the breeze that's dancing wild and free. Stir the energy inside of me. cycle resurrect the light in your eyes I see mine there is light that never dies every life so divine color bright outside the of becoming one. Rest your mind, it's all right. Here together we are light. No divide, let collide. Love expands outside the lines. Ooh. 